Graham Lynch and this is Comms Day Live. Welcome to the show. Today we'll be talking about streaming video on demand. We'll be talking to Tamson Timson from Kantar World Panel who've uh, beginning a new uh, ongoing quarterly research study into streaming video on demand in Australia. We'll be talking all about her with that. We'll also be catching up with our chief editor Simon Ducks talking about uh, latest milestones at the Dark Fiber Specialist, Fiber Connects. And also, a foray into flying cars. But first up, the inimitable Rowan Pearce, Executive Editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. Long time no speak on this podcast, too. I think we've all missed you. I know. <laughs> anyway, you're back. Just like stuck at, stuck at home going slowly mad for a few months. <laughs> but anyway, you're back, and that's the important thing. So, uh, welcome back. Um, first up... Let's take a look at um, a, a big report this week, the annual report from the Telecommunications Industry Ombudsman, looking at uh, complaints from consumers about telcos. What did that tell us, Rowan? Yeah, so it was pretty interesting, actually. So the overall results were really quite good. Um, it was the third year, uh, consecutive year of dropping complaints to the TIO. And that's despite, I guess, you'd expect COVID-19 making life a lot harder for telco support operations. I guess the, the other thing that struck me too is like, you do have kind of falling complaints in the context where, you know, people are really relying on telco services a lot more. So you think they'll be more inclined to kind of complain about issues that they may otherwise just ignore. So it was actually the lowest number of complaints to the TIO in half a decade. But if you do take a look under the hood, it's kind of a bit more mixed than um, those top line numbers. So for example, um, one one thing the TIO noted um, in their um, kind of summary of the report was that small business complaints are up 6.6% overall. And a lot of those were complaints about small businesses having no phone or internet, which you think given the kind of emphasis on online shopping and click and collect at the moment, you imagine would be generating a lot of stress. And there are also kind of a lot of uh, small business complaints about disconnections in error. Um, I, I guess, yeah, one... Um, one one other thing that struck me too was the the kind of the category of complaint, and this was for um, uh, consumers, um, consumers as well as small business, I should say, that really saw the most growth, 115% year on year, was that their provider was on uh, I can't even say uncontactable, um, which I guess you you would really um, think reflects the impact of COVID uh, restrictions on like particularly offshore contact centres that we saw last year, and I guess that kind of that period where all the telcos are scrambling to be able to make sure that their support operations could actually function from home. Yeah, okay. And on a related note, there was also another report that came out this week, uh, some Roy Morgan research, that compared various industries across the economy and uh, uh, ranked telco um, rather poorly. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so this was uh, Roy Morgan working for the uh, Consumer Policy Research Centre. And it's kind of interesting because when you think about, like, you know, they're, they're the TIO complaints process reflects a certain kind of like, you know, escalated uh, complaint. Like it's not, it's not, doesn't necessarily reflect everyone's like whinging and little kind of irritations about telco services and that kind of thing, I guess. Um, so this, this sector scorecard was quite interesting because it was also a bit more rigorous than the, you know, we ran an online 
poll and had 200 people respond, that kind of thing. So, yeah, like you're saying, it looked at six sectors and telco was actually equal last along with credit and finance for delivering the kind of worst experience to consumers. And I guess, again, like one of the big issues for telco, and this was looking at 2020, was consumers having a hard time actually getting in contact with them. So, again, it was just kind of like a, it had the sense of a real COVID snapshot in a way. Um, so the other thing was like the mortgage, the mortgage sector was actually at the top, which, you know, during 2020, obviously a lot of people were work, working with their lenders and mortgage brokers to actually like defer payments and that kind of thing. So obviously that had a bit of a positive impact there. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. And and I, I guess it'll be interesting to see over the next few months if, if those types of results improve somewhat for the telco sector as, as we hopefully move into a post-COVID phase and they particularly have their call centers sorted out. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, actually, just looking back at the um, the kind of like the the TIO thing, like because because you would expect COVID to really have a bit of an impact there. I think the next annual report will hopefully reflect that you don't have that kind of struggle around like you know support operations and that kind of thing. So the results you would think would be actually even better. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, thanks for joining us again, Rowan. Talk to you next week. Cheers, Graham. See ya. Well, moving on and taking a look at the news of the week, I am joined by the chief editor of Comms Day, Simon Ducks. How are you, Simon? Not too bad, thanks, Graham, in this nice sunny spring day. You know, isn't, isn't it fantastic? I'm in a, a cooled, air-conditioned, darkened studio here, but I can only imagine what it's like <laughs> in the sun. Anyway, to, to, well, on the subject of, um, of wide open horizons, you had a very interesting story this week about Telstra getting involved with a flying car race. <laughs> Tell us all about it. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, uh, not one of those sci-fi things. I mean, uh, they've, uh, there's this fantastic new uh, uh, race uh, series that's come from a company called Airspeeder. Now, what they're going to do is they're essentially uh, going to be racing flying cars. Now, motor enthusiasts might want to picture something like Jack Brabham's Formula One car, but having propellers instead of tyres. For anyone else that's not uh, such an enthusiast, just think Star Wars land speeders, and you, you've got the sort of gist of what these things look like. But uh, it's it's quite fascinating that uh, this uh, company, which has uh, got UK heritage but is based in Adelaide uh, and is going to be doing a series of uh, – Events They want to start, kick them off in uh, Australia and then uh, potentially take them internationally as well. And, of course, just like Formula One, uh, they need uh, a lot of uh, data support and uh, even more so than Formula One because, of course, these things are flying. So they're going to have to have all sorts of proximity uh, sensors uh, so they can maintain it safely. And uh, it also gives them the ability to even uh, run the races uh, either autonomously or with pilots uh, inside. If they call them pilots, they could be drivers. Who knows? And uh, the fascinating thing with it, you, you're looking at Telstra's going to build a uh, control system through uh, it's the professional service, um, Telstra Purple, and we're talking terabytes of information that's going to be uh, shunted backwards and forwards. And the interesting thing about it is that uh, if you look at this, it's uh, what they call the emerging air mobility uh, market. Now, you, you might think it's a bit far-fetched, but literally today, Airbus launched uh, eVTOL, so electric vertical takeoff and landing, 
vehicle called City Airbus to address what they call the urban mobility market. So this is where, as Formula One for the last 100 years or so has been feeding technology through to all the car manufacturers and pushing through, that's exactly what's going to happen uh, with this or what, they're, what the organisers are hoping uh, for it to happen as well. So Telstra has done the deal uh, to support uh, all of this and they're going to be doing it at an international level as well. So obviously that's going to throw up a few interesting uh uh, challenges for them uh, because it means that the solution that they come up with the race control system will have to be fairly mobile, uh, compartmentalised, uh, and also they'll have to be able to have decent 5G and decent agreements with local telco operators uh, wherever they end up having these races. So it'd be interesting to see how this one pans out. Yeah, indeed. I've, I find it quite amusing that the first use case for a 5G-enabled flying vehicle is actually a car race. <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> there's something quite funny about that. Anyway, moving on, um, Fiber Connects. We, we've talked about them before on this podcast and in the pages of Comms Day. Very interesting company um, uh, owned by 360 Capital who, who um, have been building dark fiber out in Sydney. And they they hit a couple of milestones this week. Tell us all about it. That's right. And uh, so uh, I caught up with the CEO, Mark Rafferty. Um, uh, As you know, uh, you broke the story in February about uh, the massive uh, 32 data center fiber ring that they were building uh, across the Sydney basin. And uh, so I wanted to catch up with uh, Mark and find out exactly where they were and what's happening next. And uh, they have completed Sydney. Uh, They had a few issues uh, out west uh, due to uh, some COVID restrictions, and uh, they've uh, overcome those. And the big news is that they've just launched their new automated ordering platform called Fusion. Now, it's it's really, really interesting because it is dark fiber we're talking about here. And as you know, piecing together a a, – Uh, or productizing a dark fiber network can be quite tricky because you get price changes at each request, you get route changes at requests, and then you have to start asking permission for particular routes and so on. So uh, FiberConnects reckon that they've uh, blown a lot of that away, and they're talking about instead of the typical 60 to 90-day delivery time frame, they're now looking at getting it down as little as 42 seconds, which is quite phenomenal. Now, these guys, as you know, um, uh, they have very dense fiber networks. Uh, They build their own pits, uh, their own routes, and uh, because of that, they essentially have routes that are typically 10 to 30% shorter than some of the pre-existing options. And they have upwards of 10,000 fibers um, on their network. So you can see it's a very uh, dense uh, data center to data center network. And the big news that uh, Mark uh, let on was the fact that they're in the process right now of uh, tendering to build dark fiber networks in Melbourne and Brisbane. So Mark said Melbourne uh, is very much uh, becoming another data center hub and a lot of his Sydney customers have been asking uh, for um, connectivity down in Melbourne and they thought that, well, if we're going to do Melbourne, we might as well do the East Coast, so they're going to do Brisbane at the same time. So it's going to be really interesting to see these data center 
uh, rings uh, emerge are uh, very dense. Uh, for example, uh, we know that there's a couple of players in Melbourne that are already uh, uh, trying to do some of this. And uh, also even in um, uh, Brisbane, uh, south of Brisbane was less uh, connected, but we had people like Springfield coming up uh, talking about a fibering as well. So I think uh, the, the data centre operators are going to be very, very happy with Fibre Connects uh, making that announcement. Yeah, I, I get the feeling Fibre Connects um, are going to do very well. Um, Mark Rafferty was a very successful executive at TPG for many years, running the wholesale division. And his reputation is one of a master business networker. He's just a very well-connected individual. So um, I, I do get the impression they're headed for bigger and bigger things and definitely a company to watch. Yeah, very much so. Okay, well, on that note, Simon, thanks very much for joining us today. No worries, good to talk. Now, we're going to focus on a topic that maybe isn't normally associated with Communications Day, and that's streaming video on demand and the dynamics of that particular market. And I say not normally associated because we're obviously more of a telecommunications type brand, but I feel it's important that our audience understands what's going on in streaming video on demand um, because it is the biggest source of traffic on our networks and it's, it's important to understand what's driving its growth and its dynamics um, so it's something we're going to be focusing on a lot more in future and in the present at comms day now this week um, an international research firm called Kantar World Panel uh, made it a foray into research on streaming video on demand for the first time re- releasing some results of a pilot study they conducted um, and what's interesting about that is that they've been doing this in the smartphone world for, for quite a long time, and they've established a consumer panel um, of, of several thousand or, or 10,000, I believe. Um, and they, they, they go back to them every few months and uh, find out you know, what phones have you bought, you know, what, what the life cycle, why, why are you buying this phone and not that phone and so on, and get some quite... Um, quantitative and qualitative uh, research on, on what's going on in that area. And now they're doing that for streaming video on demand. So looking at Netflix and Stan and, and Foxtel and so on and, and looking at what's driving uptake in that area. So anyway, I'm joined by the Australian head of Cantar World Panel. That's Tamson Timpson. Uh, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. That's that consumer panel. Um it's been in operation in this country since 2010 so it's a very long established service um and the same we we have to keep a 10,000 sample size um for you know for all the monthly interviews and so on for smartphone obviously over the course of the year not all of those 10,000 people are going to stay on the panel but we do have to keep that to that sample size but over over the course of the year i guess about 75% of the panel would be continuous um and so we've had that we've had that methodology in in place for for several years and across very you know many markets. Um, and the beauty of that it, it's it, I don't know if you're familiar with the term longitudinal, um, but a, a longitudinal basically means it's the same sample over time. And that's one of our real USPs is that we can then get 
a much more accurate read of customer movement between in and out of brands and platforms and so on. Because so it's that, the same people quarter exactly, on quarter. Yes, exactly. Understood. Yeah. Yes. And we're not relying on, you know, if we interview a random sample um, and say, have you bought X, Y, you know, and Z in the last three months or, or the last month, there's always overclaim on a random sample. So it just, it just lets that behavior settle down if you like with the continuous sample so they know that they're going to be asked the same questions month in month month out so that's that's where we're coming from so that same 10,000 panel who report on smartphone um, we will be using those same people to report on the entertainment on demand survey Okay, now you've you just re- released your first results, and, and really- well, that's just actually that's not that's just a pilot study, so that's not that that's not using that big sample. Oh, okay, continue- right, it's a, yeah, it's a pilot yeah. study, but nevertheless, um, some very interesting findings there. Um, yes, that fourteen percent of households um, took a new entertainment on demand service in the June quarter. A, a, vid- a video on yes a yeah. video on demand and then yes we, we have the, the same sort of service for, for music although it's sli- a slightly lower number but but yeah I mean it's it's incredible and actually look at, because I mean it is only a pilot study but um, we've aligned it with um, the service that's been in operation for about a year and a half in the UK and the US and and actually very similar kind of proportions of the population taking out new services um, so I think Actually, in the US, it could be as much as 19%. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big number uh, um, of, of new services. And I guess that, that that's going to continue with all of the new providers popping up in this market, isn't it? Um, whether or not they pay for them, you know, uh, is, is a different matter. Yeah, so, the, the million-dollar um, question, literally, yes. Exactly, yes. yes. Now, now so, you make a very interesting distinction between what you call gateway subscribers and stacked subscribers. Yeah, can, can you explain yeah. the, the definitions you're using? Yes. There? So, so gateway um, are basically those people who are completely new to the category. So they've never had um, a, a, a video or, or music on demand. So I'll, I'll talk about video just because we're, there's more focus on that, I think. But it, so gate, a gateway subscriber would never have had um, a, a video on demand subscription of, of any sort before. So they're completely new to that category. And I mean, on this pilot data, and again, it stacks up very well with the continuous data that we see in other markets, that you've got about a third of new subscriptions that have been taken out in that three-month period to June, uh, who are who are new subscribers, um, which you know it's a it's a big number, isn't it? Mm, um, yes. Yeah, and then stacked, um, which is is the biggest proportion, are people who are literally just you know they may already have three or four other um, services, and they're, and they're taking out a new this new one that they've just taken out is is just in, in, in addition to what they've already got, so yeah. just adding it to their repertoire. So you're finding that Netflix um, uh, dominates the gateway take up. Yes, and I yes, um, and again, that's very much in alignment with other markets. Um, I guess you know awareness. If if people have if people have um, an SVOD service of any any kind, they they all know about Netflix. Um, it's got. It, you know, awareness is so high. It's I mean it's everywhere, isn't it? And um, and they've got such a big. It's all about a lot of it is about content, of course, um, and 
people just talk there's a real word of mouth you're trying trying out the service through friends and family or even just talking about it people you know they they just manage to um and and that also you know comes from their high nps score you know their net promoter score so so advocacy for the brand is really high um and therefore people are willing to try that um i mean they don't do a they don't do a free trial anymore which um i guess maybe, maybe they've just got big enough that where they don't need to but i i do think that's a big it's a big source of you know stacked subscribers or switches you know pe- people wanting to try the service i think is an important um touch point you know for, for getting people to to take out that subs- that service but yes netflix are definitely the you know if if people are new to the category they all know about netflix i think um yeah and you made so- the comment you made the um comment in the commentary um that regarding free trials um that yes. stan and binge have been using yes. that quite effectively to drive take up absolutely so it's, it's by far and away the biggest touch point for those two uh services i can give you a, a number actually if you like so yeah, okay. yeah so um for binge um 30 percent so this is all of based on new subscriptions taken out in that three month period so uh, that that um, that's the biggest touch point for binge subscribers. So 30% uh, cited the offer of a free trial as their, their main source of information. And that rises to 32% for Stan. And those are the highest, actually. Yeah, okay. And what, what are some of the other reasons that streamers are citing for taking up subscriptions? Oh, so the, well, those are touch points as well as uh, so triggers. Triggers is a slightly different thing. So, what actually makes you think oh, I'm going to take out a subscription? So, um, the biggest in the market is just the freedom to watch content when you want, uh, which is probably a fairly obvious one, and that's highest for Stan um, at 41%. So, that's by far and away the biggest um, reason for taking out any subscription and yes, rising to it. So in the market, it's about 32% and it rises to 41 for Stan. Um, you've got a lot around, and I made some reference to this um, in that article. Um, you've got a lot of things around kind of adopting new technology. So whether it's buying a smart TV or replacing cable TV, buying a TV dongle, so like a, a Google Chromecast or, or something like that. Um, those sorts of things are quite um, quite big triggers for, for taking out some kind, kind of um, SVOD service. The ability to use a free version um, as well as a, or a free trial is also quite big. So a free version is really high for Binge and Foxtel now. And I I think, I mean, when we have the full service, um, we will be able to look at all the bundling in much more detail. But I know that if you have a Telstra service, for example, you know, if it's your broadband or maybe your mobile contract, um, you, you can also get a free version of, of these services with, with, with your, you know, broadband and, and so on. So that's that's a, another big one. Um, the, another big one actually for Stan and for Binge is... Uh, exclusive content so content that's only available with that particular service so that's that's a, a key one too. like sport, so, sporting content or a particular mini series or, or, movie or just or a something. particular yeah. series yeah, yeah a, a tv yeah, series yeah. or something yeah provide them sure okay yeah. uh, now, now you just mentioned um that you looked at the net promoter scores um that's really interesting to me because it's interesting to me that uh, i mean netflix does very well which is probably not surprising but yeah. youtube YouTube has also yes. done very well. So, so what, quite, what do you attribute that to? 
Uh, it's quite, I mean, YouTube is, I mean, I think the main thing there uh, for YouTube is that, um, A, you can you can download the content. So a lot of the services, you can't download the content. And we do find for YouTube Premium, along with all the, the sports-specific providers like KO and, and Optusport, that actually they're really likely to be using these services when they're on the move. So if you think about when we actually collected this data before the, the current lockdown, um, People were you know, maybe on the train or going into work, you know, going into work and so on. So um, people are very much more likely to be using YouTube Premium on a smartphone. Um, and yeah, so so to be able to download the content is 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 really important. They do have very particular content, which actually is not. It, it, it certainly wasn't. It you, it wouldn't be your mainstream things that you would have heard of. Um, so I think it's really the the downloadable, uh, the, the the ability to download, uh, which is which is really their, you know, unique offering, if you like. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah. And then, interestingly. Um... Amazon and Stan didn't do so well yeah, on NPS. Um, why, why, why would that be the case? Because they both seem so, to have very good offerings. Um, yeah, so for Stan, I, I know I, I was slightly surprised. And, and obviously this this might this might change when we roll out the full service because we will have all subscribers included in that in that universe, whereas at the moment this is just a new subscription. So um, so the Stan one, uh, obviously I have I can't compare that to any other market, but it does seem that um, you know they, they do very well on things like offering value for money um, and and content comes up uh, quite high in terms of satisfaction. But then when you look at um, the quality of the show, the, sati- the overall net satisfaction with the quality of the shows and the quality of the recommendations that have been given to people um, on Stan, that those two things really under-index for Stan. So, so that seems to be driving down their NPS a little bit. And the other thing, actually, which is interesting, um, and again, when we, ha- when we have more data to analyse, uh, we will be able to back this up hopefully but um they also fall that their nps also falls down on um the availability of um particular sports or or matches and i I, we my my colleague and myself were talking about this and this is only looking at stan rather than stan sport um on you know included or, or on its own but for stan specifically people are disappointed with the availability of sport and i think Maybe people have signed up to Stan thinking they've got access to the sport when actually you've got to pay you know, quite a lot more to have access to that extra content. So we're wondering if that's, you know, another another reason for that, that people are not getting what they thought they were getting. Um, and then for Amazon, um, again, this is this is actually quite this does align with, with other markets where um, maybe in the first, you know, the first two or three months of having the service. Um, the, the, navig- the ease of navigation around the platform isn't necessarily that straightforward. Um, and whilst the content might be there, uh, people, the, you know, the average consumer maybe can't find it. And so actually, maybe after three months of having that service, you, you tend to find that the NPS actually increases. Um, and obviously, we don't have the, the beauty of having that trended data yet. But that's, that's, I think that's probably what's going on there, because they certainly under index in terms of satisfaction with the variety of the tv series and i know um you know there's certainly you know a lot a lot has been said about them spending a lot on on new content their own original you know their original content um but consumers are not finding it necessarily um the other thing which slightly under indexes uh for amazon 
um, on video, prime video specifically, is the value for money. And again, I think if, if you provide consumers can see the content there, you know, they're signing up um, possibly for particular titles only to find that they've actually then got to pay extra for that particular um, series or, or, or movie. So there's a, a little bit of disappointment there, I think, for some of the consumers. Um, and then there's all, there are also the other people who are just getting Prime Video because they've got a Prime subscription. So maybe they're not so engaged uh, with that platform. Um, there is that. And, and that, that's, again, something that we will look into in more detail. We, we already look at this a little bit in our smart home survey, um, where we do quite a lot of um, analysis on Prime. And... The more you use a service, um, obviously, the more engaged you are and then therefore the, the, the happier you gen, gen, uh, generally are with that service. And, and if people aren't using Prime Video very often, then they're probably just not really real advocates. You know, that they've got they could have that. I mean, we show we do show that in terms of the stacking, I mean, they're slightly below average. So the average is, is three and a half, about three and a half services for a, a prime video customer. So, you know, it could be that um, that out of, say, maybe 10 hours a week that they could be watching SVOD um, services, you know, maybe only two hours a week is with Amazon, you know, uh, it's that sort of, you know, that's the sort of thing we'll be able to look at is the, the level of engagement. And then maybe seven of those hours are actually Netflix. Uh, and therefore Netflix is much higher in importance and, you know, ranks, you know, number one in terms of their repertoire, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, finally, um, I just, you just mentioned there that you did look at the music subscription services, yep. um, such as Spotify and so on. And, and again, very interesting findings there. And I, Probably, probably the most surprising of all for me is the incredibly high uptake of music subscription know. services. Yes, yes, and I, I think music, I mean, music, I don't think is as dynamic as video because obviously, I think once you've got your, um, you know, you've downloaded all your music, which you, which you've probably been collecting for you know many year many years, I think you're far less likely to switch services, aren't you? Um, that's certainly my view. Um, and, so and there's think, less likely to be unique content on one exactly, vis-a-vis another. They yeah. all pretty much have the same repertoire. Exactly. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think that, I mean, Spotify is is the equivalent, you know, it's, it's the Netflix of music, you know, um, where they're the gateway subscri- subscri- you know, subscription, sorry, and um, have, you know, that, vast array of music i mean they probably i guess they probably have more than some of the other services do but as you said i mean generally that the content is is pretty much the same across them unless you're going with one of the really niche ones uh like tidal where you know some of some of the um the content may be slightly different or or it's high fidelity that you know for for the real fan of that particular genre but spotify is definitely that that gateway su- subscription um but you know you've got about half of Spotify new subscribers are on a free version. And so I think, and, and you know, if you're stacking, we, and people are stacking a little bit, but not, not to the same extent that you would see on music. And I think they're only doing that because they're probably not paying for the other ones. I'd, I'd, I'd be very surprised when we have more data if, you, you know, you'd be paying for more than one service properly, uh, to be honest. Um, and there are there are free versions as well. You know, there's a free version, and and obviously some of them are on a free trial currently. And I know Amazon Music Unlimited have been really. Uh, I I get emails almost daily um, offering me a three month 
uh, try free trial to Amazon Music Unlimited. But I, I just I can't be bothered really because I've I've got all my music already on, on another platform. Um, so it, yes, it, music is is slight is is quite different I think and. Yeah, I think we were quite surprised at how many new subs- subscriptions there are, you know, the take-up, as you said. But um, it will be interesting to see how many of those people actually continue with with the subscription once they have to start paying for it. I know looking at other services in the UK or the US, we, we then start looking at, you know, people who are planning on cancelling a particular service. And the main reason um, is – the main reason, sorry, are, are around – um, you know, finance, their financial reasons. So, a, a the, the free trials run out, and I don't want to pay for it, or I, I want to save money. And certainly, you're not going to have more than one music subscription, I don't think, um, which is the obvious way of saving money, really. Um, so, yes, it's 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 quite different, I think, that market. Okay, terrific. So, overall, um, we're looking at a quarterly update you'll be providing yes. for this service. Yes. Okay. We'll, we'll look yes. for, we'll look forward to future results and. Seeing yes, some well, we'll of the trends you, that you take posted. place. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll keep you posted on developments. And um, yeah, look forward to talking to you again. Well, that's it for Comms Day Live this week. Hope you enjoy the show. See you next time.